Okay, welcome to the first episode of the new season of the Blues Brothers podcast. Uh, we're going to take a slightly different course. We go through, now that the dust has settled from international affairs and the Euro 2020 tournament has come to its conclusion, myself and Charlie Pratchett are going to have a review of the tournament, talking about our predictions, talking about key moments and key fixtures of the tournament itself, the winners, and of course, England's progress all the way through. So slightly different course of action, but I'm sure... Everyone would like to and welcome back Charlie to the Blues Brothers podcast just before domestic matters kick in. So Charlie, we obviously start with uh, Euro 2020. It began with our predictions. I think we both went for France to win the tournament. I believe your top goal scorer was I I Karim, say Harry Kane. No, I went Karim Benzema. Karim Benzema, okay. And I went Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, so Charlie, on reflection... Both got it disastrously wrong, as we always do, pretty much eight times out of ten. But um, let's talk. Let's talk just briefly about France, because they were going in as the heavy favourites for the tournament. Um, have probably, without doubt, the best squad going into the tournament. Um, but they never really got into to fifth gear, really, in the whole tournament, and subsequently went out in shocking circumstances. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one. Obviously, the French, undoubtedly, everyone's favourites. You know, the talent they've got in that squad. When you look at it from the top end of the pitch, you know, Karim Benzema coming back into that fold was only going to strengthen them. And you've got obviously Kylian Mbappe, Antoine Griezmann, the likes of Paul Pogba and Kante in midfield, etc. And you've got an unbelievable side. But yeah, for whatever reason, it just didn't seem to quite happen for them. Um, they started off well with a 1-0 win against the Germans. Um, and then they kind of, I know, in, in the second game against Hungary, I know they made a lot of changes and they kind of laboured to a 1-0 draw. And then... I'd probably say they got slightly lucky against um, against the Portuguese with a with a two a dubious penalty uh, was 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 put their way, which helped them. And then you think knockout stages, you surely you know they're going to push on a little bit, and 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 the real France is going to start to turn up. And I, I, it was some of the most unFrench football I think I've ever seen from from them. You know, under Deschamps, they've been very good as they were in the World Cup. They never play three at the back. I know they had a few injury problems, but why did, why he went three at the back is beyond me. And then, you know, playing a central midfielder at left wing back, um, I just don't think they took the occasion seriously. I think it's just one of those where they thought they could turn up and just go through the motions and get the job done. But as we've seen so many times before, you know, football punishes you if if you don't take it seriously. And ultimately, the French paid the biggest price for it um, by going out on penalties to Switzerland. But I just think too many big players didn't turn up for them. Yeah, Benzema was good. Kylian Mbappe, who is an unbelievable talent, and I'm sure will go on to win multiple Ballon d'Ors and all, and all the biggest prizes, he had a poor tournament. He didn't even score. Um, you would expect Mbappe to be scoring at least once in that tournament. And ultimately, the, like the French just fell short. Um and it'll be interesting to see how they regroup heading into Qatar, whether Deschamps is going to still be manager to take them forward. And, you know, can they retain that world title? But what, what did you think about the French? Because I think, obviously, it was a big surprise to see them exit so early and against a side of Switzerland's calibre. Yeah, I mean, you summed it up perfectly. I think they just probably went into the tournament a bit too confident thinking that they could breeze teams aside with the quality they have and uh, you know that's why we love football because I don't think you can take any team for granted and I think the game management was poor there were times where they just dominated and didn't punish and there were times where they were you know cruising in games and they just took their foot off the gas 
And, uh, you know, we saw that against Switzerland most iconically, but just a, a very, you know, there's got to be question marks now over Deschamps whether that cycle's kind of come to an end because I know they, they've won the World Cup and they've got, they you know, player for player, they've got the best squad without doubt in, in Europe, possibly the world. But they've got to be reaching last four minimum, really, as a, as a requirement for, for a team of that calibre. And, uh, yeah, just a very, very strange tournament from them. They never really got going. There was not one particular game that impressed me. Um, and like you said, mate, in, in tournaments in particular, you need the big players to perform. And when players like Mbappe, as you alluded to, just aren't firing goals in, um, you, you are you are in trouble. I mean, Paul Pogba, obviously, there's a lot of a lot of question marks over his performances for France compared to Manchester United. And again, he actually had quite a decent tournament, I felt, you know, scored scored an outrageous goal, did did seem to be quite um he seems to just enjoy his his football playing for the national side. But it's not enough. And the, the three at the back was a serious uh, asterisk, wasn't it? I mean, why, why they hadn't been playing that throughout the whole prep to lead up to the tournament. So I, I don't understand there. But yeah, France was definitely a, a shock. Um, another team I want to mention, Charlie, is Belgium, because they were probably the dark horses, if not joint favourites with France. Again, very similar to France, have a very luxury squad with some high profile players. You know, Kevin De Bruyne, Aiden Hazard, um, all these sorts of, uh, well, Lukaku as well high quality profile players, but again, fell short when it mattered most. Do you think it's a psychological barrier now for, for that side where they just feel as if though they, they haven't been in those later stages of the tournaments and just don't know how to see them out? I think there's definitely an element of that. I also think, I don't want to be disrespectful to managers, but I also think Roberto Martinez doesn't quite have it in him to get a side over the line. Um, look, he's obviously he's done well with the Belgian national side. He's got onto number one in the world, but ultimately, with the players they've got, they should be doing a bit a bit better. And arguably, look, I know they were very close to making the World Cup final. They obviously went out one 0 to France in the semi-finals in Russia. But this time round, you're thinking they should probably do a little bit better. Um, um, they've got some great players going forward. I think where they struggle is defensively, and they operate that back three. I don't think the wing backs are that good. Obviously, Castagna was a big miss against Italy. Um, you've got a, it's an aging defence with the likes of, you know, Vermaelen, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, all mid-30s. I'd be surprised if, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, one or two of those defenders aren't even at the World Cup in in, in Qatar next and, and, and the next year. Um, yeah, it just doesn't seem, quite seem to click for Belgium. They play some nice football, but... You know, they're very dangerous going forward, but ultimately that link between attack and defence and the balance in the side is is not quite there. And it's I think it's a little bit similar to England in, in fact that they've had, they've got a generation of players that they've never had before this good. And I think they might be struggling to deal with the pressure because there's never been expectation on Belgium to do well because they've never been a nation that have had, you know, the calibre of player they've got now and the expectation that brings. So... Yeah, I just think ultimately, I don't think the manager is quite good enough. And the side as a whole is good, very good in areas, but is not, I don't think it's good enough as a whole to really get over the line and, and, and win those tournaments. Yeah, I completely agree, mate. They, there's an iconic, I think a lot of the Belgium press were calling them the bronze generation rather than the golden generation because they, they subsequently won the, uh, the bronze uh, award for coming. Uh, third position that playoff for the World Cup but 
Yeah, I think you're, you've, you've analysed it spot on there in the sense that they've probably got a lot of uh, high-profile attacking players that almost um, cover over the, the flaws that they have, particularly at the back. And I think as a, holistically as a side, I think there's some serious gaps that when they come against bigger opposition or, or really just a game where they struggle to, to open doors. Because if they're on top form at the top end of the pitch and they, they outscore oppositions, they can do that all day long with the players they have. Didn't help that they had a, an out of form Aiden Hazard in their side. I mean, if they had a Hazard that was playing for Chelsea in that team, it, it turned it's different. But they, they're almost like um, the club Spurs. I, I feel like they they have a lot of high profile players, but they just I don't know. They just can't seem to get over the line when they, when it comes to it. But um, another disappointing tournament for I'm sure a lot of the fans for them. Um, Charlie, I want to mention some uh, you know there's, that we could go through every club, but I wanted to mention some of the surprises of the tournament because it's definitely been a tournament where. A lot of people have been caught off guard. A lot of fans have been um, exposed to teams really giving it a good go. Um, who was your Who was your biggest surprise of the tournament? Um, and I'm talking about the the kind of away from the five star so called teams. I mean, if you took Italy and, and the like out of it, who were your standout team that really you know kind of took you off guard and thought fair play? They've they've had a fantastic tournament. I'd have to go with, with Denmark. I know they're obviously. They've got some good players, but I don't think anyone expected them to um, do as well as they did. Um, you know, obviously they had the very unfortunate incident with Christian Eriksen um, in the opening game. And they were actually the, the first side ever in European Championship history to lose their first two games and still, and still go through. Um, they obviously needed a, a big win against the Russians in the final, groups that, final group game to, uh, to secure their path. But ultimately, I think they were the real feel-good story from the tournament. You know, that that terrible incident with Ericsson that I mentioned seemed to really galvanise that group of players, bring them together. And they they did something very special that I think their country should be proud of. They've got some very talented players, the likes of, you know, Dolberg. I think Damsgaard is is a top player. Um, Mailer at, at, uh, at fullback as well was very good. And even the centre-halves, Andreas Christensen, Veltman, and uh, I can't remember the last one. And Kasper Schmeichel in goal. They've got the basis of, of a very good side. And yeah, as I said, they were the real feel-good factor. I think everyone wanted to see them do well. And ultimately, they were really one dodgy penalty decision away from probably a penalty shootout to, to, to make the final. Yeah, I just want you to vouch for me on air because I'm not sure it was documented whether I recorded it in an episode. But I did say Denmark were the dark horses, to which a lot of people... Um, basically gave me the two fingers and said no chance Harris so um can you just vouch that I did actually say that yeah, before no, the tournament kicked yeah, off yeah no I can confirm that 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 was said yeah George did pick Denmark okay. as dark horses um I think they, they did they Thank did you. very well and I think they definitely exceeded everyone's expectations and yeah I think going forward like you know into, into the next world cup I'm not saying they're going to make semi-finals again but they're definitely a team that you wouldn't really want to be facing at any stage of the tournament yeah, they were de they were definitely the fans' favourite, wasn't they? Particularly what happened with the incident with uh, Christine Eriksen, and um, yeah, they they had a fantastic tournament. I I think it was what was it not was it ninety two that they won the Euros yeah. last time? Do you know what's yeah, mad about so, that? What's mad about that? Sorry, yeah. mate, is that they didn't even qualify for Euro ninety two. The only reason they went in is because Yugoslavia had to pull out. I actually had no idea of that. So um, that's I'm sure some some other people won't know about that. So that's another another exclusive on the Blues Brothers podcast for you all there as well. But yeah, Denmark were definitely uh, um, one of the shouts. I, I I also have to give mention to 
the record breaker. He seems to break records left, right and centre. But we have to have a, a quick mention for Cristiano Ronaldo, possibly his last um, international appearance, maybe in, in a major tournament. I mean, is he now the greatest of all time after what he achieved? I mean, ultimately, it was a disappointing end for Portugal. Um, you could see him upset at the end of the game, but he still made his mark on the tournament, didn't he? Yeah, I think he epitomises everything that is good about Portugal. He's still their go-to man for all the other talent they've got. You know, the likes of Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, João Felix, um, etc. He is still the cherry on, on the cake for, for, for Portugal. And he always delivers. When it matters, he, he's always there to, to deliver the goods. Um, yeah, you know, ultimately Portugal didn't do as well as many expected them to do, or perhaps they should have done. But Ronaldo is always there to be relied on and, and, and puts the ball, balls in the back of the net. And, you know, having played four matches to finish top score, goal scorer with five, um, I think he's got the most goals in European championships out of anyone. I think he's tied for the most international goals of all time. Um, it's just record after record for him. And look, do you know, it's, it's, it's preference whether, he, whether you think he's the best of all time or not. But ultimately, I think we should be celebrating the fact that we've been lucky enough in our lifetime to see someone so talented do something very, very special on the football pitch. And I think I, I think he will go to the next World Cup because it's only it's only end of next year. But I, I would say that this is probably his last appearance in the Euros. I can't see him going to Euro 2024. I think it'd be almost 40. So he may still be playing club football, but I wouldn't expect him to to feature at, at, at the next Euros. But yeah, George, what about you? Your thoughts on Ronaldo? Again, an, an, another very good tournament from him. But we shouldn't really So was he top goal scorer? Did, hey. I get, did I get that right? Yeah, you got that right, oh, mate. Perfect. Well, mate, slightly yeah. controversial. Basically, he finished on five goals, joint with, yeah. Patrick, joint with Patrick Schick from Czech Republic. But for whatever reason, uh, at the Euros, they don't share the golden boot. So they then decide it on whoever's got the most assists out of the two. And Ronaldo had one assist, so he got so he got the golden boot himself. I suppose that's controversial, but I suppose it's the only fair way to do it, isn't it, really? Um, oh, good. So I got that right as far. So I, didn't, I didn't have too bad of a prediction, actually. I, I take back my opening statement, uh, saying that we're both shite at uh, uh, predictions. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I'm a messy fan myself, but even I can't say that he's now not the greatest of all time. I'll state that on here now. It's similar to the tennis debate, isn't it, with, with Federer and Nadal and Djokovic. I mean, ultimately, I've always stood by whoever wins the most slams it is is the greatest of all time. And I would have said that if, if when Federer... I said that when Federer was on top. So now now they're all level. And if Djokovic takes over, it's exactly the same thing with Ronaldo and Messi. I, I, kind of, I can't sit there now and still say, um, with all the records that Cristiano has broken, but... It is a matter of preference and you summed it up perfectly. You know, we should just be grateful that we're, we'll never see it again in tennis and we'll never probably see it again in football either with two players of such a similar level playing, you know, just, at, we'll ne I don't think it'll ever be rivaled personally um, for what they do for club and country. So yeah, it was a disappointing end for him individually, but in terms of for his team, but he, he still broke top goal scoring record and uh, he can't be displeased with his individual performance at the Euros. Um, Charlie, I don't know if you want to go through, I mean, we could, we could chat about England, but I don't know if you want to go through some standout players of the tournament as we were on Ronaldo as well. Some of the players that, you know, Spinozola was one that was mentioned, the Italians obviously winning the tournament. Um, I don't know if you want to go through some of those players. And, and yeah, mate, I think it would be a good point to segue into the team of the tournament. Obviously, UEFA yeah. 
yeah. released this the other day. I'll, I'll just run through it now, mate, and then we can discuss whether you think that anyone's unlucky to miss out or shouldn't be in there. Obviously, Donnarumma in goal, he was named player of the tournament. And we've got Kyle Walker, Benucci, Maguire and Spinazzola in a back four. The three midfielders, the, mid, the midfield three, sorry, is made up of Hoiberg, Jorginho and Pedri of Spain. And the front three is Federico Chiesa, Lukaku and Sterling. Now, immediately for me, I think, look, I think Lukaku's a top player. Uh, it's hard to argue with that. But ultimately, in this tournament, I'm not sure if he should really be the, the centre forward. Um, I would say, the like, look, if, you, if you're top scorer, it's weird not to be in, in the team of the tournament, I, I, I would say. So I think Cristiano Ronaldo is unlucky to miss out in that centre forward position. And so is Patrick Schick also with five goals. Um, George, are you surprised Lukaku's been named as a centre forward in team of the season? Team of the tournament, sorry. Yeah, for me, I put Sheik in there just because of, um, you know, Cristiano, I think, went out earlier in the tournament. So that's what I would, the difference there. And I think just because he plays for a team that really, he gets nothing, really, and he has to create himself. And some of the goals that he scored were quite outrageous. So, and he was quite consistent throughout the tournament. It wasn't like he got a couple in one game and then didn't score for the rest. So, um, yeah, I'm surprised by that one. Another one I wanted to mention, mate, is um, that I feel... Okay, Donnarumma did win Euro 2020, but Pickford, mate, did get the Golden Glove. So, again, if you're looking at stats, I think Pickford had an outstanding tournament, saved two penalties in the final itself. Um, so, I think he's bang unlucky not to get in there. Yeah, possibly. But ultimately, you know, Donnarumma saved three penalties in the final and he was named player of the tournament. Yeah. So, I think on that token, if you're player of the tournament, how can you then not be in team of the tournament? So... Yeah, I think yeah, I think I think Pickford look is unlucky. He had a very good tournament. Obviously, won the Golden Glove as you said, um, but ultimately, I don't think there can be too many complaints of Donnarumma being put between the sticks. Just George, just another one that um, might cause a little bit of debate. Obviously, Spinazzola had a great tournament. Unfortunately, injured against Belgium in the quarterfinal. Do you think that Luke Shaw's a little bit unlucky to miss out on the left back slot? Yeah, mate, massively. I thought he was certainly England's uh, standout player of the tournament. The way he just was so calm at the back, and then he was pretty—he was so clinical to a lot of our goals. I mean, not only scoring in the final, but you know, a lot of the assists from our a lot of our attacking play came down that left-hand side, and I thought he did it brilliantly. So I think he's really unlucky not to get in there. Um, and I, I think the midfield is is pretty fair. The only one I probably have a slight question mark over. I think Jorginho has been out was outstanding. Pedri was for 18 years of age. He's the, he's the future of Spanish football. I thought he had an outstanding tournament in that midfield. Um, I know that the Danes did well. I didn't think Hoiberg had a particularly outstanding tournament. I'm perhaps surprised that, look, I know that France went out early, but I thought, as you mentioned at the top of the show, I thought Paul Pogba was outstanding in that midfield for the French. He scored a great goal. Some of the passes he pulled off were unbelievable. I think he can probably count himself a little bit unlucky maybe not to be in, 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 in that midfield. And maybe even someone like Declan Rice or Calvin Phillips instead of Hoiberg. I think they can perhaps count themselves a little bit unlucky as well. Oh, mate, I think Calvin Phillips for, you know, I don't think he was anyone starting at 11, but for someone who's only played one season in the Premier League and literally has only been playing a very short amount of time in international stage, I think for him, how he matured and played pretty much every game and the way he carried himself and, and obviously got to the final itself. I think very harsh not to not to be in that side. But um, I think it's difficult because sometimes, you know, 
Paul Pogba and players, they may get a higher pedestal. So they, there's more demands of them to get into those positions when it comes to the team of the tournament. They have to be scoring all the time or playing outrageous, whether it's actually they're probably better than Paul Pogba probably did play better than Hoiberg, but because Hoiberg played above his normal level, probably got the nod. I don't think there's any arguments with the inclusion of Raheem Sterling and Federico Chiesa either side of Lukaku. Um, I have to hold my hands up and say that I was one of the people at the start of the tournament that did say that Sterling shouldn't be in the starting lineup, and I, and I stand by that decision at that point in time. I don't. He had not had a, a particularly good year for Manchester City. There were players that were in far better form than him, and I felt warranted starting ahead of him. But I think he's proved a lot of those critics wrong. And in the England shirt, he certainly is a is a proposition to be reckoned with. So I don't think there can be any complaints about him being in. George, just how impressed were you with Sterling's tournament? And did you expect him to be England's kind of main man coming into the tournament? Yeah, I have to say that was a very courtroom response because I've got some of the messages here about mm. Sterling before we kicked a ball and um, some of them are quite outrageous. So um, well, yeah. we'll leave that for another, we'll leave that for another <laughs> time. But yeah, I, <laughs> look, it was a toss-up at the beginning of the tournament, wasn't it, between Sterling and Grealish? And for it, we've, we've document, it's been well documented. You know, it's pretty much a toss of a coin what your preference is, but... He had, he had a great tournament for England. Uh, it was a shame that probably the most important game of our tournament, he didn't really show up. But I think he proved a lot of critics wrong uh, with the form he was having in, at Manchester City. And I think he shows that really at times for England, he was the only answer to, to you know us having a creative opportunity. Um, and that's a lot to have on your shoulders when it doesn't go right. Listen, there are, there are, yeah, there are lots of, there are things in his game that, perhaps, you know, we have that Grealish can offer, but he had an outstanding tournament and showed a lot of people what his quality. But, you know, when TalkSport came out and um, I think it's Simon Jordan, I think his name is, is saying that he wasn't world-class, I just think that is just nonsense. I mean, he, he is a world-class I don't footballer. think he's world-class because I think it depends what you define world-class as, but I would say if you're world-class, you're in the top three to five players in the world in your position. I wouldn't put Sterling in that in that bracket. I wouldn't say that he was in the, the top three best players in his position in the world. But but again, that, that that's just opinion. But just a word on Federico Chiesa. I'm um, on the on the other side. I thought he was absolutely outstanding for the Italians. You know, at the start of the tournament, he wasn't. He was more, he was used from the bench. Um, you know, in the group stage and against Austria. But then once he was in from the start against the Belgians and for the rest of the tournament, what a player he is. Yeah, I think him and uh, Benucci were my two players to watch in the whole tournament uh, for different reasons. But he absolutely class to watch, exciting on the ball, always thinking forward, um, and definitely again a surprise of the tournament because he's been he's been someone in the Juventus team that's not he's he's almost overlooked as a, as a not a squad player, but someone who's not got that high profile name like a Ronaldo, and uh, but he's just he's so dangerous. I mean. I mean, we hope that Chelsea can bring in that bid of 100 million and keep going and see if he ends up in a blue shirt. But fantastic player, really did light up the tournament. And and, and Italy as a whole, actually, you know, I know we're going to come on to them, I'm sure, but they they just, you know, some of the football they played, some of the goals they scored, it's, it's why you watch football, really. Just a, a fantastic individual to watch. Yeah, I think that nicely brings us on to the Italians, George. Obviously, they ultimately ended up winning the tournament, much to our disappointment, of course. Um, just obviously before the tournament started, I don't think many people really gave them a chance. Obviously, they had been on a very good, um, very good run, you know, unbeaten through the whole qualifying process, etc. 
Um, but ultimately, they didn't even they didn't qualify for the last World Cup. So Roberto Mancini had sort of a lot to do to improve the fortunes of this squad, really bring them together, and you know get a brand of football being played that they can that the players all buy into and everyone knows their role. Um, just how impressed were you with the job that he did uh, th- throughout this tournament? He, well, he's got to be he's got to be manager of the tournament. Uh, the way he's he's reacted to games. I mean, we saw it in the England match. Uh, you know, I think the mixture between experience and youth was was very well utilised. He didn't go to the kind of go to high profile clubs that sometimes England do with just picking from the top four. I mean, he, he had a lot of players in there that were you know not usually used or in in sides that aren't necessarily renowned in Syria. Um, and you know, for me, they were the most they were the most exciting team to watch. They were the side, other than England, of course, that I was looking forward to turning on the telly and seeing them play. So I think that gives enough credit to everyone. And they're the, you know, I was I was actually looking through before we recorded at, at their, you know, their appearances in major tournaments. And they have they have a very solid record of reaching consistently, you know, semi-finals, finals, um, all the way through in the last decade or so. So, you know, I think. They're one of those sides, almost like the Germans, where come tournament football, they can't really be overlooked because they just seem to, whatever squad they've got, I know they didn't qualify for the World Cup before, but whatever squad they've got, they seem to just turn up. And, you know, you get the anomalies where, like they said, didn't qualify. But um, really, it was a bit of an oversight from us as fans to kind of disregard them so early on, considering. Um, But they proved everyone wrong, mate. And, uh, you know, I think my personal player of the tournament, because I'm a defensively minded person, is Benucci. I thought he was outstanding and just, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a fantastic team. And ultimately, they were the, the team of the tournament, so they deserve to win it. Yeah, I think what's going to be a big test for them is ultimately when Chiellini and Benucci call it time, you know, age is not on their side. Um, they'll probably be in Qatar, injury pending, and if they want to, because that's only a year, about under a year, just over a year away. They won't be at the next Euros. How crucial, George, is it that Italy can uncover and sort of the next generation of centre-halves? Because those two, as a partnership to replace, is going to be a big hole in the side. Yeah, I mean, they've got they've got players on the fringes, haven't they? They've got Romagnoli from... Um, I think he still plays for Roma, I want to say. I think he's at AC Not Milan sure. now, but yeah. AC Milan. Um, and they've got... They've got another one. I can't remember his they've name. They've got a store Chelsea... and they've got... A store and they've obviously got Mancini's Davide Mancini as well. Yeah, there's another there's another one that I'm not quite I can't remember the name now on the top of my head, but it was someone that Chelsea were interested in. Um is it De R- R- Rugani? Rugani oh say? Rugani, yeah. They got Rugani as well, yeah. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So they they have they've got some top quality players to come in there, there's no doubt. But they Benucci and Chiellini are two players, even at even at their age, you saw how good they were in the tournament. I mean some, sometimes the experience is um, is kind of uh, overlooked, and they, yeah, they just outshone any defender in that tournament. So uh, credit to them, but they've got players that can come in and do a job. And and just last thing on Italy, um, how do you, do you do you expect them going forwards? Do you think they've got a realistic chance of maybe winning the World Cup, or do you think like? This is kind of that. That was kind of the pinnacle for that side. They and they might struggle to go again. You can't overlook them. I mean, with the unbeaten run that they're on and everything else, I think you know they've got to be up there with the favourites now. But it is very hard to do back to back. I mean, I think uh, who's done it before? Uh, Spain. 
France, uh, Spain, I can't remember. Yeah. France. So yeah, you have to go back to uh, those teams that have done it before, but they they can be up there. But I I, I think it will be hard. I think some some international sides will will come back and uh, take them out. They can't be unbeaten forever. No, it's very very true. And uh, mate, we might as well finish on on England. Um, I think yeah. what they've what they've done in this in this past month has been been fantastic. You know, it's something we we've not seen in our lifetime. We haven't seen it for fifty five years. Ultimately, look, we did fall short, but it's I think it was a big statement. You know that we stepped forward and you know we delivered and we made and we made a final and ultimately came very very close to to winning a major trophy. I think it, the feel good factors back around the England. So I think players are now looking forward to to putting on that shirt again. Whereas in the past, I don't think that's necessarily been the case. Um, and, you know, Gareth Southgate, who had a lot of doubters before the tournament, myself included, um, I still don't think he's a top, top manager. That's just my personal opinion. I think ultimately, tactically, as a coach, he falls a bit short, as, as I believe the final demonstrated. But there's no denying that he has done a very good job for England. Um, George, what are your thoughts on England over the past month? I think it's been it's been so great for the country as a whole in this difficult time. Do you think that this is a one-off or is this something to use and as a stepping stone forwards towards the World Cup and the next Euros? Oh, I think, you know, I, I don't think the dust has settled yet for players or manager yet. I mean, for me personally, it still hurts a little bit that everything was kind of set up for us, you know, being at Wembley. Uh, the run we had, the fact that the draw opened up so well for us, you felt like that was such a huge opportunity missed, regardless of, you know, being so close or not. And uh, it still hurts to see the papers and stuff where it's not England on the back and us celebrating into the late hours. So it still is tough, but we, you know, I think me and you especially, I mean, talking a couple of years ago when Roy Hodgson was in charge, I mean, I couldn't stand international football, wasn't interested, uh, even in the World Cup tournament, I just didn't care because I just thought, you know, this is just an extra that I'd rather just see club football. Um, and what, what Southgate has done is brought the nation together to believe again and give us that hope. Um, and it's all a bit cliche because, you know, other nations will say, well, if you don't win it, you don't win it. You know, so I don't know why England gets so hyped. But the reason why is because we've been waiting so long for a moment like this to come along. And we may never see it again. My, my fear is that I think that was probably our best opportunity to win an international tournament. I don't think we'll get an easier chance than that. Um, but we also know, as Chelsea fans know, you know, from the Champions League final in 2008, sometimes you need that experience in a final to, to have the hurt and realise that when you get there and again, if you get there again, that you take that second chance and that you learn from it. And I think they learn a huge amount um, from each other. Um, and regardless of what people think about Southgate, I think the players really back him. I think there's a, there's a unity there that I, I think other managers would struggle to get. I think he does. He does. He does hold the squad and it's a squad game. And I, I actually think tactical, I think international football suits him. I think a lot of people think because he hasn't achieved anything in his club career that he's not a good manager. But sometimes you can be a really good international manager without being a good club manager. I actually think that the job suits him really well. So on to Qatar, mate. Um, interesting. I think we've definitely got a chance. And I hope that we, we go one step closer. But for me, I think it's, I don't know, I feel like with France and everything else, I think other international sides will come back stronger. Yeah, I think I, I'd have to agree with you on that. Look, I think ultimately, I don't like saying it, but 
I can't see where we get a better chance to win a tournament than that. Everything was in our favour. You know, the luck we had, you know, Muller going through and goal and missing that. Nine times out of ten, he puts that in the back of the net. The luck with, one, the penalty decision against Denmark, and then the fact that Kane misses it and it comes perfectly straight back into his lap, playing five out of six games at Wembley, having virtually full houses of home fans with hardly any opposition fans in the stadium. Everything was on our side. Um, and ultimately, look, we've got the squad and the talent to go and do it again in a tournament for sure. But I just can't envisage us having a better opportunity to win a tournament than one we've had. And it just, I think that's the most disappointing thing is because with international football, you know, as, as we've been waiting so long, you don't, you don't get the opportunity that often to put things right. You know, it only comes around every four years to, 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 put, to put a situation right. So that, that, that's the most disappointing thing. Um, but I do think, mate, going forward, England have got to find a way of being slightly more expansive in the football they play. Um, I'm not saying abandon the defensive solidity, but there's got to be more of a balance um, between the two. Because at the moment, we are sacrificing attack in order to defend. And I think with the players we've got, we don't need to play that conservatively. We can afford to be a little bit more expansive. Um, and I think Southgate needs to slightly turn the switch on that and play a slightly more attacking brand of football if we are ultimately going to get over the line. Yeah, I suppose the one benefit for this England squad and for and for Gareth Southgate is that we literally have the World Cup next year. I think if it was another two-year wait at least, I think it might be a bit problematic. But it should roughly be the same squad, uh, same team. I mean, you just wonder in that final, particularly when I've kind of looked over it, how much we missed Trent Alexander-Arnold perhaps in that, in that attacking area of the pitch that got that injury. I think he would have been a major part of Southgate's plans. But that's all hindsight. Um, we move on to Qatar next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Charlie, I think that rounds it up unless you want anything I've else just to got, add. I've mean... literally just got a couple of questions to fire in. Yeah, uh, to, to yeah of course. Just, we'll just quickly go through them, mate. Um, obviously, the format for this Euros has been talked about a lot. Um, the first time ever we've seen more than a couple of host countries, I think 55 different cities in total hosted games. Um, obviously, this plan was put into place when Michelle Platini was still at UEFA. Um, I, uh, Alexander Seferin, the current president, has said it will never happen again. Um, I think that is probably uh, a sentiment that's probably shared by a lot of fans. I thought particularly also in a pandemic, the format was ridiculous. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, what a time to do something like that where literally travel is so difficult and that, you know, we need to keep in our bubbles and yet we've played over... X amount of countries and fans traveling here, there, and it was just nonsense, mate. I think, you know, sometimes things just don't need to be changed. You know, you have one host nation and they host the tournament. It's as simple as that. And I think that that's what I like about certain tournaments. You know, iconically, you know, South Africa for the 2010 World Cup was very iconic. Uh, Brazil, you know, the, I think the bids of the hosting nations should just be the one, the one country. I don't think you need to mix and match. And I just think it's unfair. I mean, if if you're not an England fan, I think everyone's like, well, how did England manage to get away with playing pretty much every every match at Wembley? And uh, apart from one, I think it's a bit unfair, really, for all those other teams to travel. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I'm, and I'm glad that we're, we're not going to see that again. Um, yeah, last last two then, mate. Um, who, Which player do you think 
had the most underwhelming tournament? Who underperformed the most that you were kind of expecting a lot from heading into the tournament? Oh, it's a tough one. I mean, from if you're thinking England fan, I'd probably have to say Harry Kane. Um, I know that won't be the standout from everyone, but when you think of what he does for Spurs and then he turns up and, you know, can't get a shot on target in the final, missed the penalty against Denmark, all right, put the ball in the net, but didn't didn't score enough goals for me. Um, you know, I think everyone was bashing them away against Ukraine. So, I can't, you know, even Henderson got a goal against Ukraine, so I can't be saying that. Just didn't do enough for me. Um, that might be a bit harsh because he did a lot of work off the ball. But for me, you know, when you talk about like England's chances and, you know, Wayne Rooney in 2004 and everything else, I think we needed someone out there who's going to score in pretty much every game. Other players like Hazard for Belgium, you're probably looking at Mbappe for France. Um, but, you know, maybe some of the Germans. But really, I, th I think, you know, if I'm going England hat on, I would say Harry Kane for me. Yeah, I think for me, um, I'd have to say Kylian Mbappe probably underachieved the most. Um, I think, you know, as a teenager at the last World Cup, you know, he was fantastic. Youngest player to score in the final uh, since Pele. Um, and then heading into this tournament, it just didn't deliver at all. Um, I know you can't always deliver, but I think there was a lot of expectation on him that he was going to kind of fire France to to glory and ultimately it just it, it just didn't happen so I think I'd have to say he probably underachieved the most in, in in the tournament and then George final question to finish things off which player kind of overachieved the most do you feel you know not much expectation on him going into the tournament and ultimately had a very good tournament I'd have to say that I'll probably go with Patrick Schick for Czech Republic I don't think anyone really expected him to do anything I thought he was kind of the standout player for his side. Um, scored some great goals with the goal of the tournament, that lob against Scotland at Hamden. Um, and to finish with five goals in a tournament is is not is not shabby at all. So I think I'd have to say that he probably exceeded expectations. Yeah, I hate to be boring, but I'd probably have to agree. I think, you know, he was, well, joint top goal scorer. <laughs> One assist away from the golden boot. Uh yeah, some of the individual goals, he probably scored the goal of the tournament as well. Um, you could argue that, but um, for, a, for a player who's kind of gone under the radar and a team that went highly under the radar, I mean, they surprised a lot of people. Uh, I'd say, I know Kasper Mike was a great goalkeeper anyway, but I think he had an outstanding tournament, mm. um, particularly in that game against England. I think he was so unlucky not to be on the winning side on that day, considering how well he played. So I think he... He and Denmark in, in, you know, some of those key players went under the radar. But there's plenty that you could mention that probably got overlooked. But yeah, ultimately, I'd, I'd probably just add uh, Sheik. Yeah, Sheik. 100%. Yeah, mate, I think that, that pretty much rounds up everything then. Yeah, guys, we, we'd love your comments as well, uh, you know, below. And just, you know, or if you're listening to it, give us your thoughts on players of the tournament, your outstanding moment of the tournament goals, uh, favourite team to watch, all, all these sorts of things. But we hope you've enjoyed our review of Euro 2020. Unfortunately, it wasn't, didn't come home for us, but um, we hope that bring on Qatar next year. And don't forget, we will be coming back for the Blues Brothers podcast officially in the weeks to come with obviously domestic uh, matters starting. So don't forget to keep following us, um, like the contents and uh, yeah, stay tuned because we've got a new season underway. We've got some exciting things happening. And we can't wait to put the uh, the blue strip back on and uh, Champions of Europe roll on into a new season.